Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today I have a plethora of guests in front of me, which I'm excited to talk to, and uh, we're going to do something today uh, that I like to do. As, as many of you know, uh, I've got a spearfishing background myself from my time down in the Florida Keys, and uh, I often want to ensure that we're bringing in the world of the underwater world of hunting. And so with that, uh, I've got some buddies here and we're going to talk a little bit of spearfishing and some, some action and hunting and fishing and eating from the West coast. Uh, but first I'm going to give you guys a quick update on a couple things going on in our neck of the woods. So for me, probably the biggest thing is, is I finally did it. If you've been following the show for any duration, you will realize that I, I uh, have been talking about ice fishing. I've talked to people about ice fishing, but I finally did it. We finally went ice fishing. We caught two fish, which I'm super pumped about because uh, I think I caught one and my wife caught one. And my daughter almost caught one, but uh, really cool. One of the state parks here in Colorado will actually loan you the ice fishing gear. So they'll loan you the auger. They'll loan you the ice fishing pole. They'll give you bait. They'll do all that completely like free. You just go... Hey, I'd like to borrow this stuff. They're like, all right, cool. There you go. Here's a solid recommendation they gave me, which paid off. They're like, find holes that people have already drilled and then auger it because uh, it's easier. 
I, of course, did not do that initially and tried to do like auger a 16 inch hole in the ice with uh, with this hand auger. When I watched a guy like across the pond use like an electric auger in like two seconds and I was at it for like 20 minutes. And then finally we just I just stopped and we went to took the advice of the park rangers, which is what I should have done in the beginning. But no, super cool experience. Uh, ice is starting to thaw here as it's getting warmer. So I think that may have been my only shot this year. But I've definitely put uh, ice fishing augers and little mini fishing poles uh, on on the list for, for Santa Claus next year. So hopefully, uh, if I'm good, I'll get those delivered before next ice fishing season. Um, outside of that, that was kind of the big news. Been uh, trying to do a lot of fly fishing and rod and reel fishing uh, kind of around in Colorado as things start to warm up. Uh, ice is melting, fish are biting, uh, fun things like that. So um, there is that. In addition to uh, in addition to that, I'm slated back with some recipes for meat eaters. So keep an eye out for that as uh, as those articles start to come out. Usually, like one a month or so, you'll you'll catch it on their website uh, of a recipe for me, which is always fun stuff. And then I'll uh, give a shout out to BHA Rendezvous. We're pretty excited about that, and actually. By the time this contest, or sorry, this podcast airs, uh, we should be in the midst of our contest. Uh, we're going to do so. I'm going to go ahead and mention it now, but we're going to be giving away. Um, we're going to be giving away some sets of tickets and a campsite to the rendezvous. And all you have to do to enter is you subscribe to our magazine, which by the time you're listening, this will be out. So it's 10 bucks for a yearly subscription to the electronic version. That'll get you entered from April 1st to April 10th. And then the 11th or 12th, we'll, we'll draw some names out of a hat. And we will uh, give away some rendezvous tickets. Uh, so that's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, we're, we're pretty fortunate to partner with BHA on that. Um, other than that, too, our, our big game Spice Blend's out now. Uh, been using it a lot. Colin's been using it a lot. Getting a lot of good feedback about it. And I'm happy to say that the turkey blend, uh, I received the tester today. I will be testing it this evening, but I have no doubt based on the recipe that it's going to be pretty phenomenal. So that should be out the door before May. Uh, it'll be available up on the website. So uh, for all your turkey hunting needs, you'll have a nice turkey seasoning blend to go with it too. And then uh, I think our our wild pig camp, you may be hearing it the week that this is going on, but we got that going too. But uh, – Check out the show notes for the links to all those things I mentioned. They're definitely there. And then I will pass it over to Colin for any update you got. Hey, everybody. This is Colin. Uh, I will also be at BHA Rendezvous. Also looking forward to it. This will be my first one. Um, but you can most likely find me behind the booth selling T-shirts or signing you up for our email list. Uh, also have my dog there. So if you see like a mini polar bear looking thing <laughs> walking around, that's mine. Um, so should be a good time. Uh, this is also going to be my overnight cross-country kind of backcountry camping experience with uh, my dog. So I've been in the works of building a, uh, a sleeping area in the back of my truck, but then putting a rack on top for cargo. And then also a, I have a bike with a trailer, a cargo trailer for those hard-to-access points. But I don't want to – I can't drive into, but I can get farther than just walking into. Um, I'll be testing that out. More in the fall when it's deer season, but uh, yeah, slowly building all that stuff together. 
Uh, and I'm also planning on going fishing this weekend. There are a couple of local lakes around here that get stocked with some bass, steelhead trout, rainbow trout, and apparently uh, they're biting pretty well right now. So I'm going to be doing that. Also came across an article today that I thought was pretty important and it is uh, relevant to a topic that we've talked about here before. Uh, they've Scientists in Florida have now witnessed bobcats trying to uh, harvest python eggs in the Florida Everglades, which is, if you listen to our podcast before, pythons, big invasive species in the Everglades, big problem, trying to figure out creative solutions for them. Uh, but finally, they've captured bobcats that are going into nests, eating the eggs, and actually facing off with pythons, which is a little, I bet, scary for the bobcats being like 20, 30 pounds, and then there's like a 120-pound python <laughs> there. So, uh, But it'd be interesting to see how it plays out, see if bobcats uh, can carry on this learned behavior and try and help out with uh, python so, control in the Everglades. So I, I wonder, too, you know, we so, talked about uh, – the edibility of python meat several times and uh a lot of issues that came up was like the high levels of mercury so i wonder being that the the bobcat's so small if that the mercury in the eggs uh is going to affect bobcats negatively <laughs> i'm not a scientist um <laughs> so this is just speculation but I wonder if the mercury is coming through what the snake eats or if it's getting passed on to the eggs. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, um, the theory behind it being that the, the python, since it's not really meant for that environment, the, has no natural way to dissipate the mercury that's present. Um, so that's the, that's the theory. But I don't know if it's coming through in the eggs or the meat. Uh, well, it is coming through the meat, but I don't know yeah. if it's coming through the eggs because I've heard people do – crazy things with it such as like baking uh baking with python eggs i like i like i like some good forageables but i don't know (laughs) that may be a stretch yeah uh regardless interested to see what happens with it um yeah big fan of big cats so uh, it's good good news on both fronts sweet uh, that's it um well thanks for sharing yeah i'll I'll have to keep an eye on that that's a good uh a good topic to to lean into especially as we look to ways to rid the python of from the everglades but uh all right well i do want to introduce our guests and uh instead of going one by one and reading their bios because they're awesome uh i'm going to give them the opportunity to speak for themselves and introduce themselves uh which is always fun because Instead of hearing my voice, you get to hear more of theirs, uh, which is good. If you get tired of hearing me, hopefully you don't unsubscribe. You just listen to someone else. But uh, So first up on my screen, I got Eric Keener. Yeah, you want to give a quick quick intro, how you got introduced to the outdoors, all that fun jazz? Absolutely. My name is Eric Keener. I am one of the founders of Finn and Forage. Um, as I'm sure most hunters do, I kind of went through the... They say there's five or six steps of hunting. You know, you want to kill something, and then you want to kill a lot of things, and then you want to kill a big thing, and then, and then you start getting a little bit more mindful and selective, and then you start kind of advocating for the environment and stuff like that. They, I'm told, is one of the typical trends, and I'm guilty of every part of that. Uh, I started out abalone hunting maybe almost 20 years ago now, but I did it in the most ignorant way. Like high school friends and I would be partying and just super hungover the next morning up north and (laughs) diving like with scuba gear that didn't fit in like crazy, crazy conditions. And so I don't really consider like 
my diving career starting then. It wasn't until I moved to Monterey uh, six years ago that I said, hey, I live by the ocean. I might as well start harvesting some fish out of there now that we can't get abalone anymore. So um, I, I took to it, uh, hook, line, and sinker, I don't, uh, and just started getting going through that progression, killing something, killing a lot of things, and I started competing, and then I stopped competing because killing fish for points is weird. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I got really involved in using fish as food, and, and we started this cool event that was really successful and kind of unique and, and uh, seemed to be very well received, and out of the success of that event birthed Fin and Forage, and that's, that's where we're at today. We've been super involved in teaching people about wild food and how to cook it and how to sustainably and you know ethically harvest stuff, and um, it's kind of an educational platform mixed with a lot of events and and uh, getting pretty involved with people like BHA for the activism and conservation side. Sweet. And uh, speaking of BHA, we got Devin O'Day with us too. Hey, everybody. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, So I am the California chapter coordinator for BHA and um, actually didn't realize this synchronicity, but I also got my start abalone diving in Northern California. And... um, you know, that was like my initial foray didn't also didn't take to it super seriously, but you know, it was like my, my intro to the diving spearfishing world. And, um, I used to do a lot of backpacking trips, uh, in the Sierras and the Trinity Alps going after little teeny mountain trout and trying to, you know, do our live off the land. And I was like, you know, 15, 16 and just ended up starving, eating like tiny little trout for four days. But there's good life lessons learned there. Um, big in and out cheeseburger on the way home to balance the scales um and then yeah i just really got into spearfishing in college in uc santa barbara i um pretty much just like kind of spearfish my way through college and i would get a bunch of fish and then bring them home my roommates i'd just delegate but like i got the fish i'm gonna cook it you get the beer you get the tortillas you get the the limes and the whatever else we need and like you just have a big party so um you know that was like really my introduction to food was like i got i gotta cook this differently like i can't just have you know, this fish the same way over and over and over again. And so, um, from there moved to San Diego, started bow hunting, really got into the just archery world and, um, just hunting in general, um, over the last decade. And, um, it's just been further and further down the rabbit hole there for me, but uh, it's something I do with my wife. And again, you know, food's just a huge driver for me living in San Diego. I, you know, we try to eat as much wild game and fish as we can. Um, you know, I think I would starve if it wasn't for spearfishing and if it wasn't for that ocean outlet to be able to fill the freezer um, on the regular. But, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while out in the woods. And so, you know, I've, I've had a few successes with my bow and we've gone out to Wyoming and harvested antelope the last few years. So it's all starting to click and just the conservation ethic as, you know, just every year builds and builds and BHA is a really fantastic way to share that with folks and to try to give back a little bit and to, you know, work on the habitat and the access and do the things that we all love. Man, that's awesome. When, what year did you move to San Diego? I moved down here after uh, graduating from UC Santa Barbara. So that was in 2011. So oh man, we, we, what? yeah, we were there. We were there at the same time then I was there, uh, 2010 to 2016. So, yep. I was there 2015 and 2018. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Man, yeah, we definitely yeah. definitely overlap. I don't know when I when we when we hung out at Rendezvous, uh, I was like, man, this guy like seems super familiar. We probably crossed paths at some point. Um, probably. Who knows? Yeah. Probably. So if you're going out, in P- if you're going out in PB, then we definitely crossed paths. At some point, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> so also, T, we got uh, Ryan Gentry with us. Ryan, you want to give us give us some deets about yourself? Yeah. Um, another story about how I got my start at Maloney diving. Um, oh, we kind of all have that in common. That's awesome. But I grew up. I mean, I grew up like an hour away from the coast of Bodega Bay, which you nobody really dives Bodega Bay. We'd always go up to Mendocino and dive for abalone but i really grew up fly fishing inland fishing that sort of stuff um didn't do a whole lot of coastal things until i moved to monterey uh, about five years ago now and then i really got into diving right it's right out my back door you know you, you might as well do that and part of the reason that i started fin and forge with eric was because i took a lot of time and had to kind of suss out how to successfully, which I still haven't figured out, but how to success successfully spearfish from these OGs, right? Like you go in and you have to kind of make friends and buy beers and coffee and do all that. <laughs> and so um, I ended up meeting Eric on Facebook. He is just like the, he's a great mentor in the sense of like, I didn't have to buy him anything. It was legitimately just like, ah, come diving. Uh, I didn't know beer was part of the deal. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I bought you more than once. Um, But uh, so during COVID, we got to talking and uh, we started kind of putting this thing together. He had thrown the catch and cook competition, but we decided that we could kind of turn our experiences and other people's experiences into this educational hub that, um, you know, people, new people, which uh, spearfishing, fortunately, is a growing sport, just like hunting, but they could look into it and get, A, how to dive safe, um, which is a huge thing in our sport. Anyone who spearfishes knows you got to do that. Um, how to find fish, but also use the fish you find, not just go for, in our case, lingcod or yellowtail, you know, not always go for that trophy fish, but hey, you want to catch a perch? This is how you can cook it. This is how you can make it edible, all that good stuff. Um, So after setting that up during COVID, I linked up with Devin and the BHA because again, uh, I didn't grow up a country boy. I, all my family works, they don't hunt, they don't do anything like that. So I spent a ton of time hunting public land and going out and just finding these areas that are either devastated by irresponsible users or getting shut down because you know somebody wants to kick hunters out and so after i met up with devin we kind of well i guess the mpas down here sorry to completely redirect here the mpas down here was another example of people trying to shut down public land public access to resources so I decided that we, you know, we needed to link up with Devin and try to get as many spear fishermen into groups like the BHA and kind of fight for these public lands and keep them open and keep a, a natural resource available for all of us to eat. So, so I was a little all over the place, but it's kind of the path to get here. Can can you elaborate on uh, MPA? What, what that uh, is? So the MPA is a marine protected area. There are several different okay. versions of it. We could go into you know many many details. But they yeah. establish them 
all over California, but there's a ton in Monterey where they just restrict what you can take if you can take anything at all. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, I'd be happy to share a little bit on that down the road too because it's it's definitely uh, it's a sore subject for some. And it, the, the MPA decadal review is currently underway in California. They're very new. Uh, some of them, I mean, the majority of them are, are very new. And, um, you know, uh, a good number of them are no fishing allowed whatsoever. Some of them have pretty interesting models where they do allow for a broad range of activities, you know, spear fishing, line fishing, foraging, uh, but they're all over the place. And, um, you know, this decadal review will hopefully shed some, some light on the, the process and, uh, you know, what works and what doesn't. And hopefully that can, can build and we can continue to have access along the coast where it's sustainable. Yeah. And I think that that's like really important because as you start talking about like fishing opportunities, uh, the opportunity to go like way, way, way offshore and spearfish super deep or, you know, regular fish super deep, like that, that's not always is probable, especially when you're looking at targeting species closer, closer to land and those, those protected areas, like definitely make it hard. Well, not to let it take over the show, but that was one thing that me and Devin were pushing for in some of our letters was most of these MPAs touch the shoreline. And so you're, you're talking about a huge push in California right now is for access quality. Well, you're taking access equality away by making it so you have to have a boat to get out past these MPAs to go fish and have all this expensive gear. And so that that is one part of what we've been kind of trying to bring up in these processes. But yeah, it's it's a huge topic that we could talk about all night. I mean... Sure, yeah. No, no, no worries. I, I think it's good to kind of like highlight it and... Uh, are there any actions that people can do right now uh, to kind of contribute to to the review process? Is there a, an open comments period going on? The the state just recently held their um, kind of like uh, MPA decadal review sort of kickoff public engagement, and I you know I think that you know you can provide comment. I don't know how much really can happen there. I you know we encourage people to to share why the, the resource is valuable and what, what they, you know, appreciate about it. Um, you know, there's, there's this like interplay between Marine protect areas and the 30 by 30 initiative. And so, you know, the, the real question is, is the 30 by 30 initiative going to mean that there's going to be another 14% of the coast that's turned into MPAs? Um, because currently 16% of the coast, um, are MPAs in California. And so, um, there's a, a good number of groups that are pushing for that 30% MPAs. And, um, you know, I think that our, our perspective is that, um, you know, obviously we're going to look at the science, we're going to look at the data and, and we're hopeful that this decadal review will, will be able to provide a little bit more insight into how the MPAs function and, and operate and which ones, um, are effective and, and which ones maybe could be improved. But, you know, I think from, from the perspective of a lot of anglers, like, you know, in, in California and in, in a number of places, like we have, you know, the Magnus and Stevens uh, Fishery Conservation and Management Act. We've got the Pacific Fisheries Management Council. We've got NOAA Fisheries. We've got the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. We've got the Fish and Game Commission, Fish and Game Code. Like there are a lot of layers of conservation and regulation to ensure sustainable harvest. And so, um, you know, I think we would always want to look for more species specific approaches, you know, if it's reducing bag limits, increasing size, um, changing seasons, 
that's those are all really things that I think you always see anglers get behind, but it's just like the broad closures that are really a tough pill for many to swallow because inevitably within that area, there are probably species that could be sustainably harvested. Um, and so hopefully there's some data throughout this process that will kind of come to light, um, to, to showcase that and to just maintain that access. So I would say right now, you know, paying attention to 30 by 30, um, there will be opportunities to comment in the near future, but right now there's not a direct kind of call to action per se, at least from BHA standpoint. I'd, I'd add on as well that <clears throat> I think a, a vast majority of, of my peers and people involved in the, the dive community may either not be passionate about it yet and understand the impact that more closures can have, um, or they just don't they don't have the information. They don't have people saying, Hey, you need to comment this or, you know, those, they're not connected to the activists. So I I would encourage people that are listening to at least be following a few people in the community that have a reputation for being very involved in a preferential way, you know, maybe not just super biased on one side or the other, but someone that kind of takes it objectively, uh, like BHA, uh, Devin, we've got a few in our community, but I think step one for just your average diver hunter should be get get connected with someone that can help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Um, can I add one more thing? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like Devin couldn't say this, but um, find somebody like the BHA, um, their CCA Cal. There's a lot of groups out there and you just find someone you align with. Give them the 10 bucks, you know, to support them and get behind what they're doing because in the end it really seems like the stakeholders and the people who actually are going to lobby to keep these things open are are the ones that are going to do it because you know having sat in on all the calls and stuff like that um and some people may not agree with me but personally it doesn't seem like they give the fishermen their at least the recreational fish fishermen the listening that they really deserve they kind of just hey we're going to give you a soundboard and then it, it doesn't seem to do much, in my opinion. So back the big boys, you know, go in and, and figure out who they are. And that's how you're going to keep things open is getting behind people that have a bigger voice than you. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Uh, definitely more strength in numbers, too. So get involved uh, any way you can and in, in finding a way to voice your opinion. So, no, solid. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. I wasn't aware they were doing the review and it, it was uh, the potential to to increase and be an even more, a larger issue with access. Uh, so I do want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, and then I, I want to ask you guys a couple questions and these are lighthearted questions. And then we'll go into a little bit more about Finn and Forage, but I, w- I want each of you to think about this. So what's in your freezer right now that you're looking to cook? I'm happy to go first on that one because I'm right. up for my next meal. So uh, I'll caveat with, I don't really like to put stuff in the freezer if I don't have to. If I go get mm-hmm. a big fish, I, I'll, I'll age it, get the meat just really good and flavorful. Uh, I'll, I'll cut it up and we'll make a big meal. Usually we invite a lot of people over for those kind of dinners. And I have several neighbors. I mean, it's so much fun to give a tiny little fish fillet to like your elderly neighbor next door. She'll, she'll make it last for like three meals. I don't know. It's just wholesome and fun. But um, a friend of mine just got some wild pig. And I don't do a lot of hunting. I don't 
I don't really do, I would love to, and I can't wait to start doing it more, but my forte is really seafood. Uh, but I currently have, he gave me a bunch, he, he knows that I like the weird stuff. So he goes, hey, I've got the bones, <laughs> I've got the fat, and I, I've got this cool cut. It's like a tomahawk cut, basically, off of the pig. Okay. I don't, you probably have a name for it, but I'm just calling it pork tomahawks. And so I, I spent like two days rendering down all of this fat um, slowly. Over, well, it, it, the whole process took two days, not the, just the cooking. But I, I made a bunch of lard. It turned out pretty good. Um, I'm going to make a pork stock. And and then I'm going to do something fun with those uh, with those pork tomahawks. And I just got them. They just went in the freezer. And oh, my gosh, it's going to be. We do these things called mystery baskets where everybody brings you know, you get a couple people that know their way around the kitchen. They all bring some fancy ingredient that they recently got. Most of our circles, you know, one guy has a bunch of foraged mushrooms. Another guy ha is a chef at a pro kitchen and can bring all of his fun stuff that he's been using that day. And then we just bring it all in the evening and say, what are we going to make? And we make something fun. So that's that's probably what's going to happen with these here. Oh, man, that's super fun. The uh, I, I'm a, such a huge fan of, of lard and rendering fat down. Um, I, I've been doing it any fat I can get my hands on. Uh, so it's either been going towards, uh, saving up for soap if it's kind of the waxy fat or, or using it for cooking, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. And there's like, there's so many opportunities to use, uh, game fats out there that I just want, I want to share it with the world so that more people do it. Like, don't throw that stuff in the gut pile. Like Man, first off. The more you get into cooking and really like, I think there's a lot of adventure in free diving, holding your breath, diving down deep, shooting fish, but there's so much adventure in the kitchen too. And I, I don't know why mm -hmm. I, I got passionate about it a few years ago, but that fat is so full of flavor and there's so much you can do with it if you apply it the right way. I mean, it'll, it'll take like a dish that's a six and turn it into a nine just by using oh, wow. like really good ingredients that you might not think to use ahead of time. Totally agree. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you guys about, well, specifically you, Eric, being up in Monterey, about uh, wild pig hunting up there. Because when I was in San Diego, I was looking at uh, places to go pig hunting. I heard they were on like Camp Pendleton. I heard Monterey, Central Coast, Central California. I guess you too, Ryan, or Devin too. I mean, Ryan's probably the one to ask on that. Yeah. So, um, again, I know it's just totally off topic from fin, like spearfishing, but <laughs> no worries. Uh, pig hunting is basically the only other thing that I focus on at the moment. And okay. it, it's really hard hunting unless you're on private land. Um, the only caveat to that, and I don't really care if I'm not giving something away. If you go online, you look it up, whatever, um, is, uh, Fort Hunter Leggett. I've heard people taking yeah. pigs out of there, but that's basically private land, right? They monitor the amount of people on those military bases. It's not like you can just walk on and do whatever. So, um, yeah, and that is my current thing is just begging people with ranches like, hey, I'll build you a fence. I'm a, I'm a stonemason. I'm like, you want some columns for your gate? I'll, I'll do it. Just let me hunt, man. <laughs> I, need, I need my fix. I got these cheeseburgers. <laughs> Have you ever gone pig hunting in Texas? No, or like Oklahoma or anywhere in the Midwest. Yeah, I was no, I want how it compares. I wanted to go I, to your guys' uh, pig hunting thing, but it it falls on the same date as our catching cook, so I can't go. Oh man, we should have uh, planned that better. We're we're gonna do. Uh, I, I think we're gonna do another one. We're gonna do another one, maybe not in the fall, just because it conflicts with 
everybody else's like regular hunting season, but likely sometime after that, like maybe once the season starts to crank down, but I want to do another one. Uh, and then I guess this is kind of a first herd. We're doing a, a, a hook to hook to fork fly fishing one. Uh, well, it's going to be at the end of July. So we're going to do kind of back country. We're going to do up actually by Missoula in the Bitterroot Valley and, uh, have some of our, our fly fishing, uh, crew, I guess. I don't know. Uh, we're going to do fly fishing, tinkara rod and do like whole fish cooking, back country camp cooking. Like it's going to kind of be a, just a big deal. Uh, just back country and tents and carting in water and all kinds of craziness. We're still planning it, but we got the dates. It's about as far as we got. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. No, it, it, uh, looking at that, it all looks amazing. And I think I'm going to be on a couple of those trips for sure. Yeah. We'd love to have you for sure. Um, all right, we don't want to forget about Devin, though. Devin, what do you got in the freezer that you're like? Oh, well, we got to do yeah. Ryan, too. Sorry. That's true, yeah. Do Devin first. Well, first, I got to talk about pigs, because we started down the pig rabbit hole. And, you know, yep. like, uh No, <laughs> I, I would say Central California is like pig paradise for California. Obviously, you know in San Diego that um, they actually eradicated pigs here, uh, pretty much. I mean, I think there's been one or two that have popped up, but it's one of the few places that they successfully eradicated pigs. Um, cause we had a pretty healthy population for a while and they just went, you know, whole hog, uh, on getting rid of them <laughs> and, uh, they were successful. So, um, that aside, what do I want to cook? Um, I'm kind of in an interesting position cause I'm trying to, uh, like work with the chapter to figure out what they're going to cook in the wild game cook off, uh, if they get selected at the rendezvous this year. And so, you know, I, that's how I really got into BHA, uh, like really got like just dove in head first was competing in the wild game cook off of, you know, uh, three or four years ago at, uh, uh, the rendezvous when it was in Boise. And, um, so I just had a, a hell of a good time doing that. And that's just my, my jam, you know, wild food and, and everything. So I'm always thinking through recipes and whatnot. So stuff that I have in my freezer right now, I'm sort of have that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to help the chapter out here. I don't think it's fair for me to compete since I'm going to be helping like run that event, but, um, I'm going to have a strong hand and like, here's your plate, like cook it and, and win. Um, <laughs> you know, I wish, but, uh, no, so I've got some antelope, um, that, uh, is from Wyoming. Well, I mean, it's technically supposed to be from your state, your state. So I don't know that <laughs> it's like a breaking the rules as someone who's like, you know, sort of supposed to be enforcing the rules. There are antelope in California. Are you ever going to um, draw a tag for for that? Probably not. It's going to be real hard. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, and I also have some rockfish that um, I really want to do. I want to take the fins from the rockfish and um, cut them off, fry them up until, like, one of my favorite things to do with rockfish is just fry the ever-loving shit out of them <laughs> until they're just crispy <laughs> and eat the whole thing. Um like bones and all, like everything, the whole fish. Um, and it, I mean, if you've never had a rockfish like this, like if you, if you go rock fishing and you throw back the like small to medium sized ones, you're crazy. Um, because they are so good if you just fry the whole thing up. Um, but especially you take the fins, you fry the fins, um, and it becomes like a potato chip, but it's like a rockfish potato chip. So I'm going to do antelope on top of like a little rockfish chip, and I'm going to experiment with that and see how that goes. And maybe that'll help the chapter with their cook-off. But um, long-winded answer for uh, that's what I'm going to cook in my freezer. 
No, I like it. That's that's good. You also give me like hot intel for for this cooking competition too. Yeah, but. yeah, thanks. <laughs> oh shit, no, that's right. You're, you're you're a competitor. I gotta watch what I I gotta watch what I say here. <laughs> I'm like, all back. right, rockfish <laughs> check, antelope check. Did you, no. you did you come uh, in second last year? Am I right? third? Did you played third last year. year. Right? Yeah, okay, third. That's right. Yeah, you had a, you had a great yeah, dish. We did a jerk jerk alligator with a. Uh, Gosh, what was it? We did a mango sauce and then a panko crusted fried green tomato and then betony, which is this uh, forgeable. I uh, made like a little forgeable salad with uh, what did we served something. Had uh, oh no, it wasn't the mango sauce. It was the the daddle pepper and mustard. You guys know what daddle peppers are? Like these specific peppers to Florida that have like like heirloom to uh, I think Saint Augustine, but. Huh. Yeah, super cool. Well, I'm expecting some sort of baked souffle using a python egg, so, you know, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea, actually. Gotta go call that bobcat. The guy that won the cat, or the guy that took third place in the first catch and cook competition we did on a, on a camp, campfire on a beach with like a random weird makeshift Dutch oven made lupincroot, which is like. Like puff pastry stuffed f- with fish. It's mm. really hard to pull off so that the pastry's crispy and the fish doesn't get it soggy. And then you, the, I, it was like magic. I have, and he cooked it well. It didn't burn. It was incredible. Just the fact that it's, it was so good. That year we only had first, second, and third. This year we have an executive award that I'm responsible for in case somebody does something magical like that and doesn't podium. I'm just going to give them the award because it was so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I want to talk about the whole catch cook competition in just a second, but oh, I want to I want to hear uh, Ryan what you got in the freezer. Um, I'm gonna kind of spin this because I just had a baby last fall, and so I didn't get to hunt at all, and uh, I haven't even dove in forever. Eric knows I just haven't been able to get in the water. Um, I mean, as for what's in the freezer, I have part of the pig that Eric was talking about, and all that fat he was talking about, I trimmed it off and threw it in the bucket. Um, so, uh, we have part of the same pig, but part of my, I guess, culinary journey is actually because with the kid, I'm not able to get in the water as much. It used to be, I just jump in on Saturday, get the fish, you know, have fresh fish all week. But, um, now I want to learn how to preserve that fish a little bit better because I, like Eric really don't love, I guess the traditional frozen fish, but just learning how to actually keep it and make sure that it doesn't get freezer burnt or can it or do something kind of special with it so you're not like oh frozen fish you, you actually look forward to opening it eating it and prepping a meal out of it yeah no I think are, you gonna, are you gonna leave out that you have half a cow in your freezer i didn't hunt that cow buddy i bought it because i knew i wasn't gonna go hunting you have half a cow in your freezer it's amazing yeah well that's not the question I'm talking about wild game here Shh. i can respect the half cow though for sure um, no, it's, that's you get down the, the, the whole of like preservation and all that. And I think it's really, really a valuable aspect when you think, especially talking about seafood and stuff too, uh, with fish, because it's, uh, you're exactly right. What's the most common thing to do, right? Throw it in a Ziploc bag, throw it in a vac seal, throw it in the freezer. And it's like, I'll get to it when I get to it. And like, 
I'm, I'm of the mind of Eric. I do miss super fresh seafood is one of the downfalls of, uh, now living in Denver is that, uh, I don't have that access that I once had, uh, when it was like literally just across the street. So, um, been, been trying to think about different ways, but you bring up some good, good points with that, Ryan. And I'm going to have to wrap my head around that just for, I'm going to take that as like a personal takeaway for me is like, I'm going to find better ways to preserve my, my lake trout or actually you guys will find this very interesting. So I went to uh, Lake Pueblo state park, which is right outside Pueblo, Colorado this weekend. And uh, we did some camping and Lake Pueblo is one of the lakes that you can spearfish in for catfish. Hmm. So uh, the water is like, it's pretty clear. It's the Arkansas river that flows into it and flows out of it. So it's obviously very cold right now, but like midsummer, I was talking to my wife. I was like, I'm going back down there and I'm going to go spearfishing for catfish because why not? Yeah. Yeah. Good noodling for them too. Uh, it's, yeah, that's, it's, it's not as fun as it sounds like, but. Um, <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news. Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But let's talk, uh, so as we talk about the evolution of and the creation of fin and forage, you mentioned earlier like the catch and cook competition was kind of like that that one of the key foundational moments for you guys. So can can you all, and it doesn't matter who speaks to it or what order or whatever, um, how did that play out and what is the catch to cook competition, catch and cook competition? Because, it, I mean, aside from so, or, very obviously – we, uh, I talked about it in the intro a little bit, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes because I think competitions do teach you a whole lot about spearfishing, uh, traditional competitions. Um, but it was weird to me that when I'd go and dive and I didn't get some monstrous fish that's going to up my points for these competitions, like you just feel like the day was terrible and, and you, you fail and you're not enjoying yourself anymore. And so I stepped away from it so I could actually enjoy diving and tried to talk to some other influential people about like, Hey, what can we do? Um, uh, at the time I was a sponsored Spiro. Uh, we were, we were meeting with other guys that have some sponsorships and like, what can we do to use our platforms to kind of steer it in a different direction? And I think that food is the most full circle way to do it. The, the, the point of going out to collect food should, you're collecting food. You should be planning to eat it, right? Not just doing it to look cool on Instagram or get more followers or, you know, it's kind of a weird pursuit of vanity. And uh, one that I'm guilty of, by the way, I'll say that right out of the gate. That was part of my my whole thing. Um, and 
uh, and so we said, food, let's figure out how instead of arguing over social media, which never yields anything positive, let's figure out how to invite people in to our way of thinking about fish as food and spearfishing and incentivize them to participate in this event so that they may learn a thing or two about this different way of doing it. And so we were thankful because we got just a ton of sponsorship that first year. Um, and I, I got together with some chefs locally, uh, high end, like the really nice seafood places, got their executive chefs, three of them to be uh, the judge panel. And at the time, I didn't think about capping um, the competitors. And I forget, we had so many people compete that the judges were like almost dying at the end because they had to eat so much food. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it turned out to be this really cool thing because we gave... We incentivize people to use more of the fish than just the fillets. So, you know, you get additional points if you're using the bones in the stock or the belly or the cheeks or the whatever the fish. One guy actually did make those fish potato chips. They're kind of weird if you don't do them right. But um, but we, we saw all kinds of people make all kinds of incredible food. And meanwhile, their families are there walking around tasting each other's sauces and, and dishes and you know the, the judges only ate so much and at the time COVID wasn't a thing sorry I don't know if we're allowed to say that word on the show but um, at the time that wasn't a thing and so everybody didn't care about like sharing plates and we're all just eating each other's food and and, and it was like the feedback from it we ended up making a, a cookbook out of everybody that submitted a recipe's recipe and it was just a blast. It was super grassroots. Everybody loved it. The chefs were... One guy made smoked monkey face eel chowder. And oh, wow. uh, and monkey face is really hard to make taste good no matter what. It's just, it's just a tough one. And this guy made it taste incredible. And so one of the head chefs went back to his kitchen and now like smoke the monkey is a saying. He's like, y'all smoking <laughs> the monkey back there? Like, <laughs> and, and so it, it was just a really fun thing that people seemed to, to latch on to. I couldn't find if anybody ever had ever done a catch and cook competition. I couldn't find anything at the time online about it. I still can't find of any official competition outside of ours. Um, they're probably there, but... This year, we decided to refine it a little bit. We've been trying to do it last year, and it didn't work because of people not being able to get together. And and this year, um, it's it's turned into an even bigger thing from everybody we've talked to. This may end up as the most sponsored spearfishing competition of any kind like ever in North America. I don't know how we would fact check that, but it's, it's kind of panning out that way by the way we, people we talk to. And in the midst of that, Ryan said, you know, like we got together and Finn and Forge started out of that. And even the inception of that was was really interesting because I was just like, hey, Ryan, here's the idea. What do you think we could hash this out? And then over the course of, geez, so many months, we, we got this really solid idea that we started pitching to people. One of the judges that was at that first event, I was like, hey, could you be our head chef to field questions? And he's like, I love this idea. And I talked to this gal that writes for Forbes Science. And I'm like, you're an environmental scientist type person. Like can you be on the team and like, you know, field conservation and sustainability questions? Yeah. And then we got Joe Platko. It, it, he's, he's been in like BBC's Blue Planet, Virgin Airlines. The, girl, the guy is a, uh, a world-renowned underwater photographer. And about six months after we had started, he'd done some projects with us. I'm like, Joe, do you, do you think you might want to be our actual team photographer? And he's like, I, I kind of thought I already was. <laughs> and so <laughs> we just got this incredible team together. No one's getting paid. Um, all of a sudden, we're getting like huge sponsors. We have our own Divar Fin line now. Um, 
and I, I could go on and on, but it, it's just been a really, really cool project that has since made a splash way beyond just your typical, like, let's try to do YouTube videos kind of a thing. Like we're really trying to be an educational, helpful, wholesome, inclusive source for people that are getting into cooking, getting into conservation, getting into adventures and wild food. So I don't know. You, you want to add anything to that, Ryan? Um, along the lines of the catch and cook, one of the things I love about it is most spearfishing competitions were like, go out, get a fish, bring it back, weigh it, show everyone your cooler, have a beer. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but it it brings something completely new when everybody's back on the beach and everybody's cooking and they have limited gear, right? Because some of these, some outlets, you know, you see these amazing meals they cook with wild food and it's like, that's great. Are you taking this back to a professional kitchen where you have, you know, all these different techniques or you've been a chef for a long time? Most of these people aren't chefs. They're just fishermen. They're just people who do what we do. We go out, we catch fish, we take them home, we try something new. Um, And, it it's kind of beautiful in that way because it it's simplistic, but it gets very complicated very quickly, and you get to see that in the dishes. Um, like he said, there was a couple things that you'd look at, and you're like, even Colin Moody, our prof- professional chef teammate, he's looking at stuff going. There's absolutely no way he's gonna make that work, and then they do. It, it's uh, it's really cool. So um, along that line, it's. I think the best spearfishing competition format that I've, you know, seen. Um, And I'll put it out there that if, if anybody listening to this, no matter where you're at, wants to start a competition like this, we've put ourselves out there as available and more than happy to help because one of our things is, is really, you know, one of our goals as a brand is trying to get the focus to be a little bit more on food. So you don't have to go out and kill your limit of whatever just to get it, you know, and I guess some people need to do that because they don't live close to the ocean, but I, either way, like if you want to throw a catch and cook competition, reach out to us. We would, we would be happy to talk through the details and, and the logistics and, and how it's worked for us in the past. Well, and the other great part is, I mean, there are seasons to the ocean, right? But when it comes to spearfishing, especially on the Monterey coast, you kind of have what you can get most of the year. And you know, most competitions you're going out and again, it's biggest, it's longest, whatever. But if you don't catch a fish, right? How many fishing competitions you see the guys come back skunked or they come back with something small and basically don't even enter it because they're like, well, I didn't, I didn't get what I was looking for. The, this competition, uh, you could come back with the Opihi clams or, you know, limpets or whatever. It doesn't matter if you catch this massive fish. You just have to cook something. And honestly, the really only shame you would get, and we're not going to shame you, but might laugh behind the scenes, is if you came back and you're like, well, I didn't get the fish I was looking for, so I'm not cooking anything. Like, that's a cop-out. You don't get to do that. No, go out there, bring something back. There's going to be somebody who puts seaweed in soup. You know what I mean? Like, that's the other beautiful part. No, I, man, I, I love it. And, you know, when, when we first started chatting about it and then, uh, you know, through, through the research that I have been doing over the past couple of days, like I, it just speaks so much to me just because it's that it's, it goes back to, I, I like your guys motto of like the, the adventures, community food, and that just that thought that 
you know, the common language of food. And that's it is like, it doesn't matter. You can be a professional chef. You could be like, I've got this one go-to dish that I love to do for my friends and family. And I break it out on holidays. And you're like, you know what? At the catch and cook competition, like it's there. Like I'm doing it. And it, it doesn't matter. And, and that's great because that's, I think us is like, is a outdoor hunting, angling, Spiro, foraging community. Like that's what we want. We want people just to be excited about the food aspect of it because that propels them into so many other things of like conservation and, you know, it, it starts to bridge fishing and hunting and foraging and all these different things because people can just, we can all sit down at the same table and it doesn't matter if you hunt or fish or whatever, like we can agree that something tastes good. We can agree that something tastes bad or, you know, and if you tell me, oh, I just, I went out and collected this seaweed and put it in soup, I'm still going to be like, holy smokes, I've never had seaweed soup like somebody collected. I just get it at the sushi restaurant. Like, you know, like I, I think it's great. And it, it, I, I would, I personally would love to see more of these like across the country. And I think, Colin, I think we should, we should host one. Why not? Somewhere. You want to host a catch and cook? Yeah, why not? Why don't we do it with uh, yeah. these guys? That'd be fun. It's a great idea. They've already, they've already got. I do you want to do one in San Diego? Um, I've been I've been scheming behind the scenes on on how to make that one happen. Just living down here, so since you guys are former San Diegans, you never know. Maybe we can make that happen. But uh, yeah, I did, one of the cool I did, things. Of, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Devin. No, I was just gonna say I did want to add. Um, just like a couple other dimensions to the catch and cook. Cause you guys hit on so many key levels, but um, there's also a beach cleanup and like the prize pack. Like we've got like a crazy amount of prizes, but like I, I you, you can go through this stuff, Eric. Um, Cause you know it better than I do, but you know, like um, we're, we're doing a beach cleanup. There's going to be some killer prizes for that. We're doing um, incentives for folks to go out and uh, you know, get their limit of urchins. Cause that's a huge issue right now in that region. Um, so there's a couple additional layers beyond just the catch and cook. Like if you, you know, we had 25 slots for competitors and it sold out in a day. Um, we were like, wow, okay. This is like, folks want to do this. So, um, you know, we add you know, the beach cleanup was always part of it, but the urchin culling, um, you know, we're going to give, give folks like incentives to go out there just to participate. Right. Like, even if you're not going to catch something and cook it in the competition, like we want folks to join, be a part of the atmosphere to like see what's going on to participate in the beach cleanup, to go out and call urchins. Um, we'll have crazy raffle prizes and all that stuff, but just to tie in the conservation, um, and the, the shared ownership of the land and water there, I think is really important. Right. So, um, even if you don't hunt or fish, like you can participate, um, and have an impact on the ecosystem, or you can just go out there and pick up trash. Um, and that's and, still, and it's, it's free important. to the public you just sign a waiver and you could literally like just go start picking up trash and potentially. So the prize package for each of those, the urchin calling and um, the, the beach cleanup, we've got like a, a three night stay at this rad spot down in big Sur, which, you know, you either camp and your, your dive gears all nasty the next day after diving, or we've got this place that you can stay for three nights or like you could do a dinner for 12. It's a thousand dollar gift certificate um, with several other prizes and a trophy. So, uh, each, no matter what you do, the urchin calling is going to have a, a killer package as well. Um, we really want to get folks involved. I'd say almost half of our products are either culinary or local excursion packages, um, just to get those non-divers 
but to be a part of it too. So yeah, big raffle. We've got silent auctions. We've got like golf and dinner for four. We've got, it, yeah, it's the list is, is wild and we've got so, so much support, which shows us it's worth doing. What are, what are some of the, the like sponsors you guys have for the, the prize packages and stuff? Oh gosh. Uh, the, the short, the shorter list, I think some of the really fun ones we have Traeger put in some, some really nice stuff. Uh, that, that golf package I, I just talked about. Um, Garmin just came out with a brand new free dive watch. We've got one of those from Bamboo Reef. Ocean Guardian gave us a shark shield. Surfer sent a ton of their parkas. Omer for the top three uh, winners, part of their prize packages will be a custom suit of their choosing. So no matter the thickness or size or layout, one of their their new stone suit, um, you get to pick it. We've got this first place trophy. If you go on our Instagram page, you'll be blown away at this trophy that has... The first place prize, Messermeister is our presenting sponsor, and they make really high-end hand-forged knives, Mm -hmm. and you get this beautiful, magnetic, uh, exotic wood knife block with these beautiful knives, the whole knife set in it. Oh, wow. Um, That'll be first place. We've got Neptonic sent us, like, guns and gear bags, and Spear America is a big part of it. We've got a custom gun builder from your neck of the woods over in Florida, Charlie Spears, um, Red Tide, Bubba Blade sent us a whole kitchen knife set and a bunch of different fillets and interchangeable stuff. Um, Deet Jen's down in Big Sur. That's the place that, that you can stay for three days or do the, like dinner for eight people, breakfast for 12. Um, we have ocean photographers doing huge prints, 40 inch by 60 inch ocean art. I mean, it's the stuff that I think is really, really, really desirable to most people of most walks of life. Yeah. I think Colin was smiling over there, and he doesn't even really spearfish. He's just excited <laughs> about it. And yeah, my um, uh, I was just yeah, my spearfishing did not go well in, in the Keys. Um, but uh, <laughs> my my lobstering was pretty good, and I was going to see if you guys had lobster on the menu, literally and figuratively, for uh, any year contest. Just had a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I worked with, used to work with a guy that uh. That's all he did. He wouldn't go fishing or anything. He would just go lobstering off the. Uh... Can't be airing that stuff out there. He said it wasn't that great. You know, he probably went somewhere. He probably went somewhere else. He said it wasn't. That great. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely Terrible. don't go there ever, ever. We'll just bleep that out. We'll be like, oh, he went to the mission. Bay. You, should, you should bleep <laughs> out Ryan too, just for posterity. Um. Yeah, we don't get a lot of lobster. I know they've been spotted up in Monterey, but that's more Devin's neck of the woods. You got to go a little further south than us. I know joke. Last okay. night, not making this up, had a dream that I just found the the lobster honey hole. And, and I got all these lobsters. I filled my bag. And then like right at the end of filling my bag, I was like, <gasps> it's not lobster season. And I had to <laughs> empty the whole bag and I was devastated. Oh, oh man. man. What a nightmare. It was. It was terrible. Yeah. On on multiple levels, too. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, oh, man. Colin, you threw me for a loop there. I got to find my footing again. Um, yeah, you were asking me. Mr. No, I know I was. I was. Um, I'm finding... Sorry, guys. No worries. Um, <laughs> I want to hear about Colin's spear fishing adventure that went awry 
Oh, it, there's nothing really to talk about. I went like a couple times. I got into it way too late. I was only down there for two years. Justin was down there for like freaking five or something. Um, but I got into it way too late when I was down there. Uh, went a couple times. I think we went after that one time we went out together. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of what? Blue runners running around. Oh, yeah. I think you got one. And you got a blue runner or a snapper or something. Um, but yeah, everything we came across was just like way too small. Whether it was like undersized hogfish or um, snappers that weren't really gonna come out to anything, um, yeah, never really found a solid spot uh, to go. And just based on our work schedule, it was hard to. We're all on a rotating shift, so it was hard to find people to go out with. Sometimes. I'm gonna have to link up uh, with you after this, both you guys, because I'll be in Key West uh, end of May through the beginning of June, and. We're, we're going to be taking a couple boats out, but I'd love some insider knowledge on uh, anybody you guys may be connected with. Oh, yeah, 100%. I got several buddies yeah. down no. there that would... Uh... Oh. Yep. Whether you're looking for stuff to eat or whether you're looking for, like, sport fly fishing. No, no, I want, I, want to spear. I want to exclusively yeah. spear. We've got a place to stay in Key West from a friend, and uh, I, I lo- I've never dove there. I've dove all over in similar types of water, but I've never dove in Florida. And I'd love to get some East Coast fish back home. So grouper, groupers, yeah. uh, groupers should be grouper. coming in season. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh man, that was my last. That was my last dive before I transferred. It was actually like right before I went to rendezvous last year. I think it was like the weekend before. Um, I dove for grouper and probably had like one of the best days I've ever had on the water. I didn't shoot a lot of fish, but like everybody shot fish and like, we were all just having a good time. The water was perfect. Uh, even for opening day of grouper, there wasn't a lot of pressure from other boats. And then like in the app, it, it wasn't sharky, which was good. And then in the afternoon, it's like, Justin hates uh, sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <shark> <laughs> Yeah, I do. I need one of those. The the like the weather changed. The boats just came out of nowhere and started fishing around us, and then it got super sharky. And we were just like, "All right, we're done. Like we've been out here for ten hours anyway. Like it's probably time to go home." So, nice. but uh, oh man, we had such a good time. And then my for real last time was actually shooting linefish for for the the field to table dinner last year at Rendezvous, and it, that one was ultimately not a great experience because it was like I bumped in some bull sharks like in super murky water chasing lionfish and it was just like oh not great not one to hang my hat on so yeah but no definitely uh love to make the connection with some folks down there uh several several buddies that that you should link up with while you're there that would love to take you out um Uh, have you ever had a hogfish no I heard they're pretty try and get them though uh, that's the best tasting fish I ever had. Disagree. Uh, Justin disagrees. Let me. I, he's the I'm, chef. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm probably yeah. gonna piss. I'm gonna <laughs> piss a lot of people off by saying this, but I'm gonna say it. It's everybody's favorite because it tastes like nothing. It's just like. Huh. <laughs> oh, I, I, then it's definitely not for Eric. I disagree. No, yeah. I'll, I'll age it. I'll yeah. get the flavor out of it. No, I was like, say. It, it's like got. Four day age. You ever age it's, a sheep head? <laughs> Ooh. No. That that that's some flavor right there, agent sheephead. Or uh, Eric also does stuff with Lincoln Row. Uh, he's mm-hmm. got a couple posts. We got some on on Finn and Forge. Mm-hmm. But if you follow his Instagram, yeah, it's he he eats everything. You know There's what? A lot of good stuff to eat. That that is like the <laughs> perfect transition 
so we can talk about some food now because we, we've whittled our way that way. Um, so I, I, I perused your website and I found some, some stuff. And the first one on there, your first recipe, trumpets a la king. Oh, man. This this one, I broke the barrier on this one, uh, a barrier I had not previously broken. And that's where I just like seriously threw health out the window. Like, <laughs> I don't care how many calories this thing has. So my buddy, uh, like I said earlier, you know, we, I have friends, we, we always trade food and get cool ingredients here and there. And one of my buddies, Matt Bond, um, well known for foraging, he's been doing it for a long time. He'll be one of the judges at the competition this year. Um, he gave me a bunch of black trumpets and a, a bunch of other random great ingredients as well. But I, I, I wanted to like give that gift of those trumpets cause it, it's a lot of work to go harvest mm-hmm. that quantity and then to just give it away. So it, it's really like a, a, a cool thing you want to respect. And so basically without going into the whole, whole deal, I, it's the first time I've ever put a whole brick of brie cheese into a sauce. Uh, by the way, filleting brie cheese, getting that that rind off, is way harder than filleting a fish. It's going to be the quote for the podcast right there. <laughs> Lay that cheese. Um, smoke the monkey. Yeah, so we, we started with a bunch of really good, thick pen, uh, pancetta, and we cooked it down and reserved all the oil in the pan, threw the mushrooms in there, uh, put some cream, a bunch of cream, put that whole brick of brie in there, melted that down, put the rest of the trumpets in with some peas and and shallots and the pancetta back in there and uh, and all kinds of other, you know, like your soft herbs and some hard herbs and a bunch of butter. And then we had fresh fettuccine pasta. And, and then you end up t- topping like a half cup of grated Parmesan, some high-end grated Parmesan on there. Um, I'm telling you, man, it was just like pure cheese, cream, mushroom. And there's, there's two flavors that I'm particularly fond of. My two favorite flavors currently, I'm sure it'll change at some point, yuzu. So fresh yuzu is like an, an exotic kind of Asian citrus that's getting more readily available here, but it's usually already like pre-juiced and bottled. So if you can get real yuzu juice, it's astronomically good. I use it in almost like every Asian inspired meal I make. And then mushrooms now we've started doing a lot of foraging this year got a lot of porcinis got a lot of candy caps which are great in desserts and and then these black trumpets man i cannot tell you how good this one tasted Uh, it's it sounds uh very decadent it also sounds awesome um i i will tell you like i just kind of got into foraging this past year, I think out spring bear with Colin was like kind of the first opportunity I had to kind of delve into it. We, we found oyster mushrooms out there, right? So they were. Yeah, but we weren't a hundred percent positive. So <laughs> I was going to say foraging <laughs> we, scares we me. We didn't go with them. Yeah. Like, especially mushrooms. So I, I've got a strategy now, now that I'm kind of like my feet have landed here, uh, successfully in Denver. Like I've been starting to reach out to some of the like Rocky mountain foraging groups, but I've also, uh, we've had some folks on the show from the area too. And it's like, they do camps or not camps, but like cooking or gosh, uh, like class days where you go out and they're like, Hey, meet us here. And then we're going to go out and forage. And I'm like, that's what I need. I need somebody to be like, this plant's okay to eat. Yep. This plant will turn you blue. Like, yeah. I, 
A buddy I, of mine gifted me a field book, and I'm so thankful because I'll take that out and just flip through the pages. Okay, it looks kind of like that one, and then you go through the characteristics. But, dude, you got a caveat. Just like, first off, don't just eat random stuff because mm-hmm. you'll probably die. And second, I found that mushroom hunters are like 10,000 times more secretive than fishermen. Oh, yeah. Just astronaut, they oh they get angry. So yeah, <laughs> I hope you which, find uh, some people which, to forage with. Oh yeah, what what field guide did you get? Or do you have field? Oh, field guide. Sorry, um, it's the yeah. the mushrooms of the Redwood Coast. Uh, I'm blanking on the full oh, title, okay. but if you if you just search that, you'll find it right up. It has two authors, Square yeah. Book. It has color, which is nice, and, and it's really really informative. It gives a lot of good characteristics of you know how to find it and i've just gone in a wheelhouse of like being able to id five of the main good edibles and i'm just gonna kind of leave it there for now i don't want to keep going off and there's some that you have to cook a certain way or a certain amount of times before you can eat it and it just gets to be a pain in the butt so yeah so oregon's like one of the mushroom capitals of the north america uh and it's specifically my area where i live so i kind of got into it i got a couple field guides i got a mushroom cookbook for christmas and stuff but uh yeah there's like three that i'm positive when i find them i know what they are and i'll collect them and then everything else is just like eh, i'll just let that one go i'm not gonna risk it but uh we do get the big uh, fly agarics the red the yeah. red and yellow ones with the white dots yeah. And supposedly there's a way to cook that's them. That's the one I'm talking on about. We did a lot of those too, but yeah, you gotta you gotta yep. parboil it, you gotta do all this stuff to it, and, and it's just at the end of the day, like, is it really worth it to go that far? Yeah, the risk versus gain doesn't really seem there for me. Just the amount of work, even knowing that you can make it edible, it's like that was a ton of work. Yeah, and I think they look way cooler just standing out in the field yeah. and stuff. I mean, they're pretty neat. Looking. All right. I'm, I'm going to bring us back around and we'll close out with the lobster and miso soup recipe you got. Cause that man, that is probably one of the most beautiful pictures of soup I've ever seen in my life. And it's a, a if you're, you're interested, go down to the show notes and click the link and you'll see the picture. Like it's like a, a toasted, is it like a cracker or? Yeah, it was lavash bread. Um, oh, toasted and shaped. It looks like a halo of deliciousness on top of this tiny bowl of soup. That was really, I'd actually encourage you of all the posts about food on our website, I'd encourage the listeners to go and like read that post. Cause that was kind of the initiation of the mystery basket routine that we got into, but without knowing that that's what it was. Cause you know, we, we had like five or six different people and this was done a while ago. So I don't remember all the details, but we had all these people show up with all this different stuff. One person brought fresh yellowtail. One person brought lobsters. One person brought seaweed and other ingredients. And so we, we got together with all of this stuff and made like, Ryan, how many dishes did we make? We had like a bunch of different versions. I think like four. Yeah, the community platter. And we did all this. We even had one of our above water photographers. His name is uh, Glenn McDowell, good buddy of ours. Does a lot of most of our above water filming and stuff. Uh, he came over with all this fancy lighting, and he's like, "Dude, this is gonna be awesome. Let's make it pretty." And uh, it, was, it was we had a beautiful kitchen to cook in. That so basically, you you make your own dashi, which is like kelp and bonito flake. And I had some really strong fish stock that I had made at the time, um, and we mixed that with some with some miso paste to make it a little bit sweeter with sweeter with more umami. Um, we had some fun ingredients like 
like shiso leaves, you know, when you eat sushi, a lot of the time you get the green leaves that are almost minty in flavor. That's a shiso leaf. So we had some of that that was dehydrated and crushed that we used as some seasoning. We had all these edible flowers and uh, I made some squid ink tweel. That's a fun one that makes any dish look beautiful and it's super easy. Um, so we just had a lot of fun with cooking. We cooked all day. I thought we were gonna cook for a couple hours and then like we were, it was like nine when Ryan and I were done with dishes that day. <laughs> but Man, that's, that's a pretty a cool easy day. recipe to be honest. Like it's one that I think will be stunning to guests and something you can include seaweed in, something that all the stuff is pretty straightforward. You don't have to do the fancy garnishes and whatnot, but you know, just have fun. Like our whole thing is play with your food. You know, if you're gonna get into it, like, like have some fun, try to make it look really good. Use clean shells or something like we did on that abalone to uh to present it and it's, it's just one of those kind of show pieces where uh, you, you can have a lot of fun and wow a lot of people and it's everybody cooks together so it's a good time no you don't it's have, all, oh, sorry go ahead and on that recipe you don't have to use lobster that's just something that we kind of had and decided to use a lot because of the color and we're doing pictures but one of my kind of um i have this fascination especially with we have a um a blue rockfish that's kind of a midwater column fish. Uh, it's usually what I shoot because I can't fi- ever seem to find lingcod. But it's got a little bit more toothier meat to it. It's not as soft and doesn't flake away as easy. But floating that in a soup or some mm. sort of liquid and just having it kind of sit maybe a quarter inch above the skin mm-hmm. and just eating it that way, um, especially if you can get that skin crispy, it's insane, and it's super easy to do. Um, you can use whatever type of stock you want. You can play with... Uh, that's another fascination is just making different broths and figuring out ways to flavor that stuff without putting a ton of effort into it. Nice. Awesome. You know, I know you said you wanted to end on that note, but there's one <laughs> thing that I was really hoping to, to touch on. You started off on conservation. I'd love to end kind of on sustainability and conservation um, and we have Devin on the show because he's a whiz with all of this stuff. And I want to. And he's awesome. And he's awesome. You guys know him well. You guys know BHA well. So you're probably pretty familiar with the organization. But I'd love for him to kind of talk about why they want to be involved with Finn and Forage uh, as partners. And we're just so grateful because we don't have a lot to stand on. We have a great team. But when it comes to conservation, like we talked about earlier, knowing the right people. Like, they're the right people for us. And I'm so grateful that he's been on podcasts with me and doing this one. And, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to just have him give a shout-out as well to, to him and his team and how they're involved with us. Yeah, man. Um, no, I appreciate that. And I I think, I you know, beyond just you guys are good people and, and you can, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the adventures that lay ahead. Um through catch and cook, but also, you know, just some dives and camping and, and cooking over an open fire. I think that's, uh, definitely in the works. Um, but I don't know. I mean, for, for whatever reason, this story comes to mind. I think this really sums up, uh, everything that I need to say here in a very short anecdote from one of my own spearfishing adventures in San Diego. Um, and it's just that interplay of spearfishing and conservation and humor, but, um, I was spearfishing right near Winnensee Beach and just got like a bunch of surf groms just 
surf rats, whatever they like throwing shit in the ocean. So, you know, sometimes when I'm out there, like I'll just find all sorts of crazy stuff. And if I can, I'll throw it in my bag if I've got one and bring it in. And this one particular time, um, I'd shot a fish and I actually can't remember what fish it was. Um, to be honest, it was probably just like a Corbina or something that I shot on the way in after not having any success, um, out there looking for, for something a little bit more substantial, but, um, I had a fish and I was coming in and there was a, a bird scooter in the ocean. Like just someone had tossed it in, right. Thinking it was funny. Just like surf, oh, you know, punk surf rat kids. Um, and so I was like, God damn it. You know, like I'm not going to leave this thing out here. It's like leeching battery acid or whatever. So I grabbed the scooter and I'm, you know, got my fish and on the spear and I got the scooter and I'm like trying to drag it. And it's super awkward. So I was like, well, it kind of rolls if I push it. So I just start pushing it out. Like I was, you know, using it like a scooter. So then I come in through the waves and I come out and there's kelp all over. I can't see, you know, I'm getting the kelp out of my mask. And I suddenly look up and I've got this thing out of the surf and I'm looking up and there's this family who must've been obviously on vacation. Just like they're all super sunburned and, <laughs> You know, just sitting there like like a bunch of cherries just roasting in the sun. And they're looking at me with just like jaw drop, just like <laughs> these looks of like, those things go underwater? Like, did he just zoom around and shoot that fish on a bird? Like, yes, like, I want to do that. You know, they're all like, how do we sign up for the underwater bird adventure? That's fucking awesome. Like, so that's it, man. I mean, I think it's just. Swap thing coming out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it, man. It's just like, you know, we, we cannot just be throwing these, like, this trash in the ocean, you know. We got to all be good stewards. We all have to have a good time doing it. Cook what you catch. And, uh, you know, I think Fin and Forge um, bodies that. And so I'm really looking forward to this catch and cook and, um, you know, having a good time and, and planning some additional adventures uh, with everybody at, at Rendezvous. And, you know, I'm sure we'll be uh, shooting the shit and, and having a good time and then beyond, you know, hopefully we can get you guys out here for, um, you know, spearfishing adventure, camping adventure, whatever it is, and get this crew together in person. Yeah. Epic. I think it's and good. So, uh, what is the best way for people to connect with each one of you? Just lay, lay it out. Whoever first, Ryan. Um, so Finn and forage, uh, the website, if you hit the Instagram, you're going to be talking to Eric. He's excellent at getting back to everybody. Um, I very rarely, because I, I have access to, I very rarely see anything go unanswered. Um, we try to be as accessible as possible when it comes to cooking. Even, hey, you're getting into spearfishing, you want some tips. Yes, we may just drop you an article link, but you know that's what we're here for, is to teach people and get people into sustainable food harvesting and using that food correctly. I'm not super, um, I'm not super active anymore on my social accounts, um, and on my personal ones, but I, I love Finn and Forage. I think the website's really the biggest tool, um, that you'll find. It's really robust. There's a lot there to get through. Um, but if you just want to be entertained and get your, like, you know, we, we try to have beautiful photos on our, on our Instagram social pages, but, um, we we also try to make them helpful and go a little bit above and beyond. So there's that. We have a YouTube channel that we're continually uploading, you know, more useful content to. And then as we do dive trips, that goes on there too. But yeah, those are the three channels for us. Sweet, Debbie. Yeah. For uh, for myself, um, 
yeah, you can you can message Backcountry Hunters CA is our Instagram. Um, California at backcountryhunters.org is our email. Um, and yeah, pretty much anything California BHA, I, I'm trying to keep keep an eye on that. Um, you know, or if you just want to reach out to me personally, uh, I'm Chef Boy OD on Instagram. So O D E A, you figure that's it out. That's the best. That's the best Instagram handle of all time. I knew you before I followed you on Instagram, and then I saw it, and I was just like, "How? That is so awesome!" You got to pronounce the name right, though. Some people, you know, like it, the the majority of people think it's O'Day, and so like Chef Boy O'Day. Sorry, like, that's Sorry. okay. It's like everybody. That's does what it. I thought it was, and it was you know awesome. I mean? So yeah, yeah but Chef then Boy like O'Day. once you get it, I'm like ah, oh, Chef Boy O'D, huh? So that's um, it. That's all I got. I like it. No, it's awesome. Um, no, man, this was such a great conversation. I'm, I'm this super was stoked. Fun. Like this, yeah. was, this was a good one. I like yeah. it. We we got some good stories. We talked about some good food. We we hit on conservation. Like, man, I'm uh, I'm going to sleep well tonight, uh, knowing that we t- we talked a good talk. So uh, I will say. Um, We'll do a quick last round for anybody. So uh, with that, if, if you guys have a last thought you want to leave us or or the listeners with, we'll, we'll go now. I'll go to Ryan. We'll go in the same order. Uh, if I can leave you with anything, um, whether you're a new hunter and you're just getting into it or you're an old hunter, look at the people that are coming after you. Each one to each one, right? Don't just because you have a good spot and it's like, you know, especially hunters, fishermen can sometimes be very kind of secluded people. Don't do that. It's a, it is, if we don't teach those coming up, it's going to be a dying thing. And unfortunately there are people that are trying to facilitate that. So get involved with new hunters, new fishermen, get involved with people like the BHA and just, um, you know, if, if we don't fight a little bit to keep this, it's not going to be there. Nice. Eric, don't spot burn on social media and public forums. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, also not kidding, but my, my thing is like food. Don't let food be intimidating to you. Uh, it can seem sketchy to make lobster miso soup, make your own broth. It seems weird, but if you've ever had garden grown or like foraged ingredients, a tomato from the store is not at all the same as the tomato from a garden. And, and when you start cooking meals with really good ingredients, your meal, no matter what it is, is going to be a million times better. So, so really start, start playing with food, start, um, start gardening, start looking into foraging classes like Justin's doing now. Um, there's so much to eat. If you're on the West coast, I mean, there is so, there's an abundance of food in the ocean. When the shutdowns first started and nobody could go outside, I was like, well, I'm not going to starve. This is awesome. Like I've never had that reaction before. So yeah, really, really get into food. It's, it's a great, great thing. You'll never become an expert at it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> David. Uh, man, these guys are inspiring me. Um, I would just say like for me personally, it's something I try to stick to is like the, the hunt is not over until you are back in the truck. And I just can't emphasize that enough. And it's really easy to get down. Um, if you're a new hunter, if you're getting back into it, whatever your, your situation might be, it took me four years to kill my first deer. And I, there was a lot of times that I wanted to stop hunting. Um, and there's a lot of times that I, I've been like, ah, I'm never going to shoot anything, whether it's spear fishing or deer hunting or whatever it is. And it's like, 
you're down there and you're just like tromping around and just all sad. And then there's a deer standing right looking at you and, uh, the hunt ain't over till it's over. So, uh, you know, just like, don't, don't give up on it. And, and, um, you know, you will, you will be successful. And this the last thing is, you know, like when you are successful, share that food with people in your family, your friends, your neighbors. Like I can't tell you how many good conversations I've had and how many, I think minds that I personally changed just by sharing a meal with them. Um, and showing that, you know, wild food can be incredibly delicious. You know, people in my own family, like that were like, oh, I don't know about hunting, you know, after eating a deer, they're like, wow, okay. You know, you want to get another one? Like that was great. Um, so, you know, just share, share the food, um, with anyone and everyone and just have that conversation. Um, because I think that's the most important thing that we can do as hunters, anglers, conservationists is just to, you know, share our perspective and be respectful and, um, go out there and have a good time doing it. Yeah. Nice. Colin. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to totally repeat everything Devin just said, <laughs> but I mean, I, it took me six years to get my first year and I got my first year and first elk within a week of each other. So just keep after it. Um, yeah, both my questions got answered about Central California wild pigs and uh, lobstering in Southern California. But uh, I'll be really looking forward to doing some collaboration with you guys with Catch and Cook or something in the future. Uh, this is a really fun conversation. Um, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I, I will echo that. Thank, thanks, guys, for coming on. I know uh, we're like all over the all over the place with times and sometimes my thoughts, but uh, no, really appreciate it. And this conversation was awesome. So uh, looking forward to uh, more conversations to come for sure. And uh, for everybody out there listening, make sure you go down to the show notes. Uh, all these things we mentioned, be it on uh, the Fin and Forge website, Backcountry Hunters, Anglers, whatever, we'll include those show notes, uh, links in the show notes there. And then uh, head over to social media. Make sure you're following these accounts. Make sure you're following Harvesting Nature too. Stay up to date on what's going on with us. And then uh, lastly, as always, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, punch that five-star button. Tell us we're doing right or, you know, tell us we're doing wrong. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.